0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma C to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. Hi, folks. Well, first I want to appreciate Evelyn. If you uh, were in her her group, her class, then uh, you... Maybe you got a sense of the transmission. Um, so good to feel alive. And uh, as I said, she embodies joy. She's the real thing. So um, great to be part of that. And if you didn't go, I highly recommend going. Um, so here we are. just about about uh, 24 hours later. And um, want to first check in and see how things are doing, how you're doing. The first day of a retreat is uh, maybe not what you might have expected or hoped if this is new to you. Uh, just want to take a little bit of a barometer uh, or weather report. Uh, how many people um, uh, found that they were sleepy today? Raise your hand. All right. Take a look. Hold on. I want to look around to next. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got a lot of company there. How about um, anyone restless, uh, just feeling like uh, this stillness is a bit too much and feel like you're, you want to move or jump out of your skin even. Anybody have that? A few hands. Okay. All right. And uh, how about uh, any aches in the body uh, starting to materialize. Okay. Good. And uh, busy mind. Anyone have a busy mind? Uh, okay, great. You're right on schedule. You're just right with the program. Um, those are the things that usually happen on the first day of any retreat. So if this is new to you, uh, you're not quite clear if you're doing it right or what's supposed to be happening. Um, it takes a while to go from the doing mode of our active life, even in these times, to sitting and being here with your experience and um, and not moving around. So this first day or so, um, actually the next five or six days, be very gentle and kind with whatever your process is. But particularly if you're thinking, oh, I signed up for an awakening joy retreat and uh, gosh, my mind is everywhere. I'm sleepy. This isn't so much fun. Um, don't worry about it at all. And uh, a, a little bit of a a warning that I mentioned, I think I mentioned it before Don't try hard to be joyful. It does not work because the more you try, the more there's a contraction and you're working against yourself. So as with the practice, the basic task of the practice to just be here with what's happening now, meeting it with a kind presence a receptive opening and allowing for things to be just the way they are. So yesterday, as we started this, I uh, shared with you the three principles from the Buddhist teachings that um, have made sense to me to put together to support well-being. First, around wise effort is a little recap to not only be with the unwholesome states, guard against them or learn how to work with them and overcome them so that they don't overwhelm you. Um, And particularly to the point with uh, this theme, cultivating wholesome states and when they're here to maintain and increase the wholesome state. That's the fourth of the four wise efforts. And then that second principle, if you recall, when there's a wholesome state, kusala, state, kindness, compassion, generosity, gratitude, whatever it is. When there is, notice the gladness that accompanies that wholesome state and really let it register, not just knowing, oh, feeling pretty good right now, but tuning into, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good for this wholesome state to be here. That's the second. And the third principle was, as you practice that attitude, the more you practice it, the more it becomes, as the Buddha called, your inclination of mind whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind, or as it's said in modern neuroscience, neurons that fire together, wire together. So now I want to share with you um, in this talk, three of the 10 wholesome states that I have found from the Buddhist teachings are particularly um, practicable and powerful and that um, seem to go in a, a logical sequence when I thought about them um, and uh, to, to launch this whole awakening joy or awakening well-being um, cultivation, practice orientation. Mm. and the uh throughout the retreat um booker and deborah and and jane uh and i um later on will be hitting uh the others of these themes might not get to all 10 but um we'll cover a bunch of them and certainly that you can bring into your practice as you sit here So the first on this path to well-being is cultivating wise intention. And intention, um, which is both one of the eightfold path factors um, and um, the the seed of Cultivating all karma is where we start. As uh, as it's said in Tibetan practice, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation and our intention. The Buddha himself said, intending, I tell you, is karma. Intending through body, speech, and mind, we create karma. Karma. In the Buddhist psychology, intention is happening in every moment. In every moment, we can be coming from either the, the three roots of suffering or the three roots of happiness. Three roots of suffering, attachment, aversion, and ignorance, or uh, also known as greed, hatred, and delusion. And the three roots of happiness, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, another way of saying that non-greed is a generosity of heart or the ability to let go of our attachments, non-hatred, which is another way of saying kindness or loving kindness, non-delusion, which is clarity, seeing things clearly, wisdom. In every moment, we're cultivating one of those directions by the intentions that we, we bring to the moment. Most of the time, unconsciously, there's another development or another aspect of intention that uh, I want to explore with you for the purposes of this, um, this program and this approach to practice. And that is intention, in the sense of uh, aspiration. What what we are trying to create in our in our hearts and in our life. In the the Buddhist teaching, there's a, um, a teaching on clear comprehension. What he calls clear comprehension of purpose. And he says, if we are clear about what we're trying to create and if that purpose has a, um, a wise and a, a, a skillful aspiration, then we are headed. We're facing in the direction of more well-being and happiness. So I want to first look at this intention and for our purposes the intention to put well-being in the center of your life now, that might seem a bit selfish wow is that okay to put my own happiness first Remember the the line from the Dalai Lama's uh, book, The Art of Happiness, that opening line, the purpose of life is to be happy. He doesn't say the purpose of life is to have as much pleasure as you can and the heck with everyone else. But he says, go for the real happiness, which is what the Buddha said too. go for the highest happiness and all the other happinesses will follow. And as far as intention, we might have lofty intention intentions. Oh, yes, uh, I want to get enlightened. Uh, maybe 20 lifetimes from now it'll happen. Or, you know, if I'm lucky, 10. Um, or we say, oh, I'll be happy. Here's some things that'll make me happy. Let's see. I'll be happy when I, um, when I, Get enough money to feel secure, then I'll be happy. Or mm, finding the right partner that I long for, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. And I want to say that uh, Jane and I have been together. This, this, uh, we're going on our. We have been together for forty years. We're going on our fortieth anniversary next year, and it's great to be in relationship, but it's work. If you have ever been in one and the Buddha actually recommended very highly the single lifestyle as the optimum to wake up. So um, and you probably know people who have um, who have uh, partners and if there's not that harmony, it can be one of the loneliest uh, places of all. And when the dopamine is worn off after 18 months, and then you say, Oh my goodness, who is this person that I'm that I wanted to be with for the rest of my life? That's when the real practice comes in. Yeah. Oh, but when I meet the right person, then I'll be happy. I know it. Or when I when I retire, then I'll be happy. No. Why postpone your well being in the future? This is the only moment there is to be alive. And everything else is a thought about the future or a memory about the past or a fantasy about what might be. And I, I fully appreciate how it's important to plan for the future and important to learn from the past and remember uh, uh, with nostalgia, wonderful memories, But if you're living in the past or future or fantasy and not here right now, you are missing out on your life. So the idea is to be here, be present for your life. And if you have a choice, why not go for true well-being? Because as we've said before, your own well-being ripples out to affect everybody else. However, this is a stretch for many people. Can I really go for well-being and happiness? Something must have prompted you to sign up for an Awakening Joy Retreat. So it's important to just acknowledge that whatever your beliefs or, uh, or habits, there's a place in you that really does want to be happy. In fact, uh, it, it's something I, uh, I often uh, ask people, you know, who say, you know, I don't know about all this happiness stuff or, you know, is this okay? Uh, or I don't, I don't really believe in this happiness stuff. And I uh, ask people, I can ask you right now, anybody who doesn't want to be happy here, want to just... Look look on the pages. Okay. And if you're somebody that's saying, well, I just don't have the the nerve to raise my hand, but I'd really say, I like being grumpy, if you don't mind. That's just your way of being happy. Because everything you do, if you look at it, you are motivated because... Something in you says, this will make me feel a little bit better. This will make me feel a little less bad, whatever way you want to cut it. Whatever we do, and it often can be very misguided, I understand. Believe me, I understand. But whatever we do, we're doing because in our hearts, we feel this will make us feel little bit happier. So what this, when we bring the Dharma perspective in, we're getting in touch with that place that really does want well-being for ourselves. And we're seeing where well-being really lies. And we are coming to honest terms with the fact that, yes, I really do want well-being and happiness. Now, sometimes people think, well, I've had a lot of suffering in my life. I don't know if it's in the cards for me this lifetime. And I want to say to you, if those are thoughts that are in your mind, don't believe them. Please don't. The Buddha, that's why he taught, he said, if you can understand and work with suffering and truly learn from it and use it to wake up, remember, it's the first noble truth. He said, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. He said, if you can understand and deepen your appreciation and compassion for the human condition, then... That is the, the root to happiness and well being. That's the amazing gift of the Dharma. And you probably have seen or known many people in your own life who um, have gone through a great hardship and are shining examples of well being and joy. I want to, before I go on, I'll share with you one um, anecdote that I love that uh, shows this just in case this is speaking to you. Uh, I want to say, first of all, that I was motivated to really throw myself into practice because I had a lot of suffering in my life. Maybe I mentioned that a bit yesterday. So if you have a lot of suffering, you might be motivated that much more. This is an, uh, a story from a book that I love called how we choose to be happy by Rick Foster and Greg Hicks. And these are two two guys who became friends uh, of ours uh, who wrote a book. Uh, they did a three-year research study, their own personal study on what are the components of happiness. And they interviewed 320, I think it was people that they identified as certifiably happy people right and they'd interview each each of these people and said well what what do you think the ingredients of happiness are and they distilled nine different ingredients a, a number of them are in this 10 uh, uh, 10 wholesome themes that I've done. Not all of them coincide, but many of them. But the first one in their book and in the Buddhist teaching is intention, the intention to be happy. And this is Adele's story. <clears throat> she says, In one horrible 24 month period, my life evaporated. I lost everything. My house burned down to the ground. It was the Oakland fire in 1991, leaving me with nothing, no clothes, photos, furniture, no material reminder of my previous life. During that time, both of my parents died unexpectedly. My husband left me for a younger woman. At the same time, my restaurant went bankrupt. My best friend moved to Seattle. Even the dog died. Oh my goodness. She goes on. I had nothing. I was so filled with grief. I thought maybe God was somehow preparing me to die. Everything was gone. Maybe this was some monumental lesson in letting go and that I should let my life go too. But as my initial shock began to clear, a feeling that I wanted to live outweighed all of my thoughts about death. I began to see there was hope among the ashes. There was one big opportunity here. I had a clean slate. As long as I had to start over and create a whole new life, I was going to create a happy one. I wanted to feel whole. I was sure that I wanted to embrace everything in life, the good and the bad. I wanted a feeling of contentment and to feel rested and gentle. I wanted to feel unafraid, to feel I could handle anything that came my way. And I wanted to feel this way for the rest of my life, in spite of my grief I could see that this all added up to happiness for a lifetime. She didn't just flip a switch and say, okay, now I'm happy. She said it, take, it took her about five years to metabolize all of that pain. She was honest with herself the whole time and, and vowed not to numb herself out. But she became this radiant being. Rick and Greg say she walks into a room and lights it up. You know, those people. And many of those stories are just like this, where it's not that somebody's born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but they've learned through their own hardship and suffering that there's another way to be. So, intention to place well-being at the center of our life and because our habits have been practiced for our whole life this takes patience and it takes uh determination and it takes a continual commitment to your vision and purpose mm. And the way that in practice it's experienced as we're doing it for these this week and you keep on practicing like this, you're going to see all the ways that the old habits are there. And you might maybe have a few moments of well-being and then you're back in a funk or you're back in your, you know, your... Uh, spin cycle in your mind of how, oh, things aren't going to work out. Oh, but that happened. And so I can never, whatever it is. And it's so easy to get caught in, oh, I'm back there again. Who was I kidding? But that's not how practice works. There's a whole other way to practice, which for me seems much more um, beneficial And that is whenever you're doing something in the new wholesome way and you notice it, celebrate. You don't have to do a whole dance and party, but inwardly celebrate. Yes, I'm learning a new way. And whenever you go fall back to your own habits don't think that there's no value in what you're doing. Oh, this is going to take time. What is said? Uh, there's an anecdote of uh, Thomas Edison. When he invented the uh, the light bulb, there was a, he had 2000 attempts before he invented the light bulb. And there's this anecdote that this reporter goes to him uh, near the end of his life. And he says, Hey, Mr. Edison, how did it feel to fail 2000 times before you got it right. And Edison says, my dear man, I did not fail. I invented the light bulb and it was a 2000 step process. So whenever you see yourself falling back, oh, what was I thinking? Don't believe that old habit of mind. And every time you see that you're doing it a new way, Yes, I'm in this learning curve. I'm in this growth process. And that goes for this week when we are you find yourself in a wholesome state and you happen to remember to be here for it. And then besides having the intention for your own well-being and happiness, if you widen it so you see that everyone will benefit from your well being. This has a whole added dimension of motivation. So, before we go on to the other two, I wanna do a little bit of an exercise in uh, getting in touch with your intention. So, if you would uh, sit up maybe in a little bit of a meditative posture so you can really connect with what's true for you inside and I invite you to close your eyes if you feel like it and just first get in touch with the fact that you probably do want to be happy you probably do want true well-being And as we're going through this week and this way of practicing, just imagine getting better and better at noticing the good inside and in your life and all around you. And that when you notice it, that you get better and better at really taking it in and nourishing yourself with that. And imagine in the next six months, keeping this practice up where you're inclining towards well being for yourself and for everyone you know what that might feel like as and imagine a year from now or two years from now A year or two or more where it becomes a habit. Not that you don't have your difficult times, that's part of life, but that you're more and more tuned to the good in you and all around you. And if this seems like a worthwhile project, see if you can get in touch with the heartfelt decision to do your part to help that come about. This is where the power comes in. No timetable, no report card. You're just showing up and letting life support you. This is where the magic is. Everything starts with one's motivation and intention. If you can put it into a few words in your own mind that expresses your intention, then do that. And perhaps. After the talk, write it down. And remember, this is where you want to go. Okay, and now, if you'd like, you can open your eyes. So, intention then leads to the second wholesome state. That the Buddha spoke of as the way to real happiness, and that is mindfulness. In the discourse on mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, Majjhima Nikaya, number 10, uh, he says, There is one direct way to overcome pain and anxiety, sorrow. Lamentation and to realize the highest happiness possible, and that is the establishment of mindfulness. That's a really powerful statement, isn't it? That mindfulness ends pain and anxiety and leads to the highest happiness. And that's what we're doing here, whether you realize it or not. And if you've been practicing for some time, you probably realize it. There's something really magical about being present for your life. Not only does it feel good, but there are a few very um, um, clear ways why mindfulness does this. One is that of all the different states of mind in, uh, that we humans have, in Buddhist psychology, there are 52 mental factors, mental states. And some of them are these unwholesome, unhealthy states of suffering. Some are wholesome states of happiness and well being. Some are neither wholesome nor unwholesome, uh, but can arise with either of those. Out of all of those 52, Mindfulness has a very unique property. It is the one factor that weakens all of the unwholesome states and strengthens all of the wholesome states and actually cultivates them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It weakens the unwholesome and strengthens the wholesome. And all it is, is being present for our life. So this is one very profound way. How does it weaken the unwholesome states? When you are present for your life, you're not lost in your ruminations and your old habit patterns. You are here not in your story. And here's a, a little exercise that, um, that I first learned from Joseph Goldstein, my teacher, many years ago, that is a very simple way to see how mindfulness works. Uh, and uh, if you would, put your hand out in front of you like this. Okay. And now very slowly move it back and forth. As you're doing it, close your eyes and put all your attention on feeling the movement. Is there any worry right now? Any fear? Any wanting? If you're really paying attention to the movement, okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, you weren't lost in your stories. Oh, I'm right here. Oh. And you probably weren't saying, oh, this would just be a better moment if there was some incense around. Or, oh, if I just did it a little bit faster, it would be, it was just what it was. And there's that balance of mind that is simply the way things are, just like that, so what one way that mindfulness works is it interrupts negative thinking and all the stories we spin. This is from a from somebody who uh, uh, took the the joy course that I teach and sharing about this in a revelation, he says. When I find myself going down the rabbit hole of thinking about something in the past and feeling very badly about myself, I realize that if I focused on the current moment in my life, like being on a great walk, I was actually quite happy in the moment and here's a a great story that i'll I'll share from um, Sylvia Borstein, who uh, came to the uh, the uh, Awakening Joy class, about how mindfulness works. And she was talking about how she was um, she was visiting a friend in New York. And uh, she tells this story. She says, uh, one evening when I was staying in New York City, I arranged to meet a friend for a theater performance and decided to take the bus to get there. And as the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, I started worrying. I'm going to be late. I'll miss the, the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. Oh, the subway would have been so much faster. So figuring she can walk faster than the bus was going, she gets off. And then she says, and of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by. And now I'm thinking, oh, I should have taken a cab. So she says she's been meditating for years, but she was also fretting for much longer than that. So it was natural that that would arise. And then she continues. She's describing walking, running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind whipping around her. And then she continues, all of a sudden, I have a thought, oh, what am I doing Oh, I'm grumbling. That's what's happening. That's a moment of mindfulness. And up until then, I was caught in a habit driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment at which the mind says, Oh, Sylvia, dear, you're grumbling, the lens switches. And suddenly, the truth of that moment is I'm a 71 year old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels, that is far out. That's an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. In a moment, you can get out of the prison in your mind and just switch to a different lens. Ah, that's what's happening. Oh, having a meltdown. That's what's going on. Oh, freaking out Buddha. That's what I sometimes might say, you know, or sad Buddha or worried Buddha. Oh, it's just what's happening here. So that's one way that mindfulness works. And a second way that it works, particularly in awakening joy is when you are present for a moment of well-being, it strengthens it. It amplifies it. Like we've been saying, as Rick Hansen says, mindfulness is like, uh, on a neuroscience level, it's like shining a spotlight and scooping up with a vacuum cleaner. And that is sculpting the neural pathways in your brain. It's one thing to say, yeah, feeling good, but it's a whole other to notice, oh, this is what feeling good feels like. Then it's an embodied experience. So we'll be with each of these wholesome factors cultivating a moment of wholesomeness without grasping, but not missing it, paying attention and really letting yourself savor it, because as I've said before, we have more, we're more habituated to look for the what can go wrong instead of what's good here right now. Thich Nhat Hanh has this this great uh, teaching. He says, uh, instead of looking for what what's wrong, look for what's not wrong. And he uses the example, oh, last week I had a toothache. I don't have a toothache right now. How wonderful. So the choice is ours, but we have to realize we have a choice. If we don't, we're just going to be habitually checking out with maybe wariness or uh, pessimism or stress, which definitely contracts the mind and and the heart. And if we start to notice what's right, even in the difficult, and we'll get to that, even in the difficult, there are gifts in the difficult that we can orient in a different way our relationship to experience. Because it's not so important what's happening in the moment for the purposes of practice. What is important is our relationship to what's happening. If it's difficult, uh, time to practice compassion. Or what am I learning right now? If it's beautiful, uh, time to practice presence without attachment. So every single moment counts. Okay, so that's the, the second intention. And then being mindful, what I call the, uh, the, the tool for the joyful life. And that leaves leads us to the third um, of these qualities, these wholesome qualities, which is gratitude. Gratitude is probably the most direct way to well-being. Because in the moment that you're truly grateful. It's a moment of expansion. The heart opens, there's giving thanks. You know, one, uh, one uh, teacher, Tibetan teacher says, gratitude is like putting out your satellite dish. And when you're going to life, oh, thank you. And you're opening yourself up like this. Oh, thank you. Then you can receive all the blessings in life. If you're busy grumbling and complaining and, oh, this is wrong and what about that and I don't know about that, there's no room for the blessings to land. The mind is too small and contracted. But when you say thank you, it opens you up and then you can receive the bounty of what life is wanting to give you and does give you. So gratitude is really saying yes to life. And when we're practicing, when we're meditating, we can take mindfulness practice as a practice in appreciation, if not gratitude, appreciation for the moment. You know, when, uh, when Jane did the refuges yesterday and she said, uh, she asked us to take refuge in the Dharma Taking refuge in the Dharma another way, as she pointed out, was saying that I open to what life is giving to me right now. This moment of life, if you take refuge in it, this is a moment where I can, I can use for my awakening. And rather than railing at the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune Um, we see, oh, this is a moment that life wants wants me to either learn or be, be grateful. So you can go for that in your practice. Ah, oh, I wonder what I can learn from dealing wisely with this discomfort in my body. Instead of, oh gosh, if only this weren't here, then I could really meditate. I wonder how I can deepen my understanding of the human condition. Oh, I wonder what I can learn from in this moment of of sadness or loneliness. Oh, this is a way that I can feel compassion for the human experience. Oh, here's a moment of breathing in and breathing out, which has never been here before. Oh, this is a moment for me to wake up to in my life. So you can actually use the mindfulness practice through the lens of appreciation, and for me, one of the best ways for the mindfulness practice to work is uh, in that way is to bring a spirit of um, wonder to your practice. You know. I, um, I forget if I said it in here, that line by uh, uh, Jesus, unless you become like children, you won't know the kingdom of heaven. And you can look through that lens of wonder. Is it um, Albert Einstein has this line that I love. He says, uh, there's two ways to go through life. You can see nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. And I think he was pointing to go for the latter. If you look carefully, if you slow down and look carefully, it's all amazing when you think about it. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh says uh, it's not walking on water that's a miracle, just the fact that you're here walking. A living being life moving through you, that's a miracle in itself. But besides that, it's all around. You know, you turn on a, a switch and there's electricity. You punch a couple of numbers and you're speaking to somebody on the other side of the world. You here we are looking at each other in this virtual reality. Could you imagine somebody a century ago? thinking of what we're doing now, let alone three or four centuries ago, it's all magic, right? We just have to slow it down and see, wow, it's amazing. I'm alive. Have you ever had that thought to yourself? How did I get here? I used to have that thought a lot when I was a kid. How is it that, how, how, how is life here through me? I'm, I'm thinking of a, an old Talking Heads song. Uh, you may ask yourself, how did I get here? You know, It's a great question to, to ask. It's all amazing. And if you can truly have appreciation for this moment, it starts to spill over and then is appreciation for all the blessings in your life. And I bet there are lots, no matter what you have going on in your life, the fact that you're here and we're all doing this retreat, it's taking six days off to cultivate more goodness and well-being with others, like-minded friends through this virtual reality, you know, you must be doing something right in your life to even want. To do this strange thing, not to miss out on your blessings and to really take them in. So when you're finding yourself lost in grumbling, oh, but why is that? Oh, but I don't have that. And oh, when am I ever going to get that? You know, you can switch the lens and see, oh, what is good in my life? Going from grumbling to complaining from grumbling and complaining to, to gratitude. Uh, If we had more time, I'd have you write down for two minutes, all the things that you feel like complaining about, and you'd see how you'd feel after that. And then another two minutes, all the things that are good in your life. And you'd see a big difference. Okay. Uh, And as far as the meditation goes, uh, you can use this as far as an appreciation practice when you find yourself saying, Oh, now I have to do this. And now I have to do that. There was a, a, a retreat a number of years ago, somebody sat on the retreat and they came into an interview and they said, Hey, I'm, I've seen my mind and it's really, it's really gross. I'm sitting there in meditation and the bell rings and my mind says, now I have to go do walking meditation. And then the bell rings, now I have to go back and do sitting. She said, even when it's meal time, the bell rings, now we have to go to lunch. And she said, I'm I'm whining to myself all the time. No wonder I'm I'm miserable. She said, Do you have any any suggestions? And something kind of came through me. And I said, You know, I hear you say, Now I have to do that, now I have to do this. What if you just change it to Oh, now I get to do this. Oh, bell rings. Oh, now we get to do walking meditation. Oh, now we get to do... She said, okay, I'll give it a try. She came back a few days later and she said, it's amazing how changing that word has changing everything. And the kicker is that months later we met in the... Berkeley Bowl it was here in Berkeley. And uh, we bumped into each other and she said, I've continued doing that these last months and it's made this radical change in my life. So if you find yourself grumbling and complaining just for the fun of it, change it to, oh, now I get to do this. Now I get to do that. And now I want to show you, you we have some time. I want to uh, show you how mindfulness f- um, applied to a wholesome state deepens it. So, here's just a little gratitude practice uh, before we close. So, I invite you to uh, go inside once again and call to mind. Some blessing in your life, someone that you're grateful for, or something, some situation in life that you feel grateful for. And as you do, call up an image of this, either this person or this circumstance. So you really can feel a connection with it. And as you get in touch with it, give a a simple, sincere thank you right from your heart to that person or to life. Thank you. And let yourself feel it. And just relax in that feeling of gratitude in your body. Just feel the landscape of gratitude. Thank you. Take a nice breath. We'll do a second one. Another blessing. You probably have so many in your life. Someone or something you're grateful for. Call up an image. And again, a, a simple thank you right from your heart. Oh, thank you for being in my life. Or oh, thank you, life. And then just relax and enjoy it. Don't miss it. One last time. In Buddhism, we always do things in threes. So you get one more blessing. You probably have so many. Call one up. Someone, something. Wow, oh, there's that too. Call up an image. A simple thank you right from your heart. Let yourself really feel it and mean it. a oh, thank you. Just relax and enjoy it. Okay, and then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. If you like, or you can stay there if you like. Either way, see just a moment of paying attention and and really letting it in makes such a difference. So I want to end with a, a, a meditation that uh, my dear friend Patricia Ellsberg put together for the Joy Course, a gratitude practice, just in case you kind of run out of things to be grateful for, uh, I invite you to tune into this. And so this, you can just let the words land. Open in gratitude for the breath that nourishes every cell in your body and has sustained you from the moment you were born. For the miracle of your body that despite whatever weaknesses or limitations serves you and allows you to sense the wonders of the world. For your brain, that coordinates all the functions of your body without your even being aware of it. For consciousness... That allows you to perceive, feel, be amazed. Open in gratitude for the eyes that allow you to see the abounding beauty that surrounds you, colors and shapes the face of a loved one. for the ears that enable you to hear birds singing, wind rustling in the leaves, words people say to you and the laughter of children. For the sense of smell that allows you to enjoy the fragrance of flowers, the scent of fresh air, your favorite food for your mouth and tongue that enable you to taste the fruits of the earth to enjoy a ripe peach or chocolate melting in your mouth. for the skin that protects you and yet allows you to touch and sense the world, feel warmth, coolness, and the touch of a loved one. For your heart that beats faithfully your whole life from even before you were born, Open to a sense of wonder and gratitude for the amazing gift of being awake and alive in this precious human form. The fact that we exist or that anything exists at all is a wondrous mystery. We all live in the midst of a miracle. Open in gratitude. So, thank you very much for your attention. And um, I wish you a, a good rest of the day or whatever is there, be with it just as it is. And there'll be a, a metta, a loving kindness, that Deborah is leading uh, at seven o'clock tonight and then continued practice afterwards. Um, remember, stay connected to your intention. Be mindful. And when there happens to be a wholesome moment, oh, let yourself savor it. And when there's not open to that as well, every moment counts. Okay, have a good evening.